We pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight today, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Bless us through your word today. Make us confident in the eternal life and the resurrection that we can look forward to. We pray these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Ever since Easter, we have been talking about resurrection, right? Uh, Not only Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday, but our own resurrection that is coming one day. And all of this talk about resurrection eventually starts to bring up some questions. What exactly are our bodies going to look like when we are raised from the dead? What age are we going to be in heaven? Are we going to be the same age that we were when we died? Or are we going to be in the prime of life? Because that can be kind of weird. What if there was somebody that died when they were a child, and then they go to heaven and they suddenly are 35 years old? Notice that I chose 35 as the prime of life. I'm just over the hill at 36. Um, or what if there's someone that you only knew when they were like an old grandpa, and then in heaven they're going to be 35, approximately, years old? Are you even going to recognize them? Speaking of recognizing, are, are we still going to be our distinctive selves in heaven? Will we, still, will we have scars? or marks from our time here on earth. doesn't seem like we would, because heaven's going to be perfect, except the Bible talks about Jesus having scars. He's going to have the nail wounds in his hands and feet, showing the glorious way that he died to save us. So are we going to have scars? Jesus is going to have scars. Are we going to have scars? What if we have body image issues? What if we don't always feel good about the body that God has given to us during our time here on earth? When we get to heaven, are we going to have the same body, only now we'll feel good about it? Or are we going to get an entirely different body? That, that, and then if we do... Is it going to be like an athlete body? Is it going to be more like a supermodel body? Um, We have questions. And we're not the only ones that have questions. People have been asking questions like this for many, many years. In fact, the early Christians in Corinth asked all these same types of questions. And here, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, gives us some answers. Some answers to our questions. But, I'll just say fair warning, maybe they're not all the answers that we're expecting. All right, so let's start at the beginning. Paul asks right away. He says, somebody's going to ask, I know you're all thinking it, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? His answer, how foolish. So (laughs) Paul says, this is a silly question to ask. And the reason why he says that is he uses this metaphor of a seed. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you're not planting the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So like we said in our children's message, the resurrection body that we are going to receive at the last day will be so different from our flawed, limited earthly bodies that it's going to be hard to even compare them. It's kind of like comparing a little seed to a full plant. Right? The seed is small. The plant is huge. The seed is withered and dead. It has to be. You have to dry out seeds before you plant them or they won't germinate. But the plant is, is blooming and alive. It's just such a huge difference between what's planted and what grows. And Paul says, so it is with our bodies. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown... You picture a funeral, putting a body in the ground, planting it like a seed. The body that is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. 
It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. It's a massive difference between what we look like when our bodies are put into the ground and what we will look like when we rise. So, apparently, the best answer to the question, what are our bodies going to look like when we're raised from the dead, is we can't even begin to visualize it because we don't have the perspective. It's kind of like talking to a packet full of seeds, if you could talk to them. And all the seeds are speculating and hoping and dreaming about what are they going to be when they're out of that packet and they're planted and they've grown into the full-grown plant. And they're asking you, like, am I going to look kind of like this, but, but bigger? Am I going to be kind of like this, but I get to last forever? And we're saying, well, kind of, but it's a, it's a lot bigger. It's a lot better. And if you can't show a picture, if you can't show an illustration, how would you describe to that seed that it's going to be kind of like what it is, but vastly, drastically different. It's really not possible to explain without a picture. And so eventually those seeds are just going to have to get planted in the ground, and when they grow, then they'll know, and then they'll see what it's like. And so it is with us. When we've died, when we've risen, then we'll understand. So is that a satisfying answer? (laughs) I feel like... Not really. Uh, and why is, it, why is it unsatisfying? Maybe it's just because we're curious and we really don't want to wait until the end of the world. We just wish that we could know now. Maybe that's why it's an unsatisfying answer. But I think it's possible that this answer is unsatisfying for a different reason. And that reason is we don't like being left out in the dark on things. There are two things that make human beings really uncomfortable. Well, there are lots of things that make human beings uncomfortable, but here are two of them. Things we don't know and things we can't control. We get very uncomfortable when there's things that we don't know. We get very uncomfortable when there's things we can't control. And death is both. Right? We don't know what it's like to die. Everybody does. We know what's going to happen to us, but we don't know what it's like. We don't like that. It makes us uncomfortable. We also can't control when we're going to die and how it's going to happen. Can't control it. That makes us uncomfortable. And so, if you're like me, maybe you've found yourself thinking along these lines, where you're like, I know the world is broken. I know heaven is going to be better. Of course, I can't wait to be there someday. But honestly, right now, if I could pick between the two, I'd probably just stay here. And it's not perfect, but it's what I know. It's what I understand. I'm in control of it. But is that really true? In reality, we don't know or understand half of what's going on around us. I mean, science is awesome. Scientists understand some things, but any scientist would tell you the majority of how this universe works physically, we still don't understand. Let alone the spiritual universe running parallel to ours. We know very little about the spiritual world. And then, as far as control goes, we're not in control of our lives nearly as much as we would like to think that we're in control of our lives. And this is something that you learn more and more the older that you get. 
things happen to you all the time that you were not planning, that you could not control. You find yourself in life situations that you never dreamed that you would be in. Because life's not in your control. It's in God's control. So God knows everything. God built everything. God controls everything. So therefore, from our limited perspective, what's the wisest thing that we could do this side of heaven? It's to trust God and to take him at his word. But our sinful heart doesn't like to do that. And the sinful heart has never liked to do that, going all the way back to the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. Remember that sin? I mean, I wasn't there, but you've read about it, right? Adam and Eve standing by this tree. And, and what was the temptation? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to know all the things that God knew. They wanted to control the things that God controlled. And so they walked up to that forbidden tree, and they ate, and they fell. And we see this same tendency in our own hearts. You might say that this forms like the backbone for all of our sins. We want to take over. We want to know the things that God knows. We want to control the things that God controls. We want God's job. And that was Satan's sin when he rebelled against God in heaven. And that's the attitude he brought down into the world. And that's now the sinful peace that is inside of each one of us that we want God's job. We want to rebel. We want to be in charge. So we've got this almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God and he made these tiny little human beings who now are rebelling against him and want to be in charge. How does God respond? How should God respond? Well, God would be perfectly justified in just destroying us. But he didn't. Instead, he became one of us. It's just amazing that God would limit himself and shrink himself down in that way. Maybe this is stretching the metaphor a little bit, but not too far. This is like if the gardener decides to make himself into a seed and put himself down in that tiny, limited seed packet where all the seeds are trying to figure things out all on their own. Eternal God came into a human body, was born into the world, and lived a small, limited, unfulfilling life on this earth. And this is what Jesus did. In this limited world, he lived a life of perfect trust in God for us. And in this small, limited world, Jesus died on a cross. And he did so to forgive us for all the times that we have doubted God and refused to trust in him and grilled him with questions and not liked the answers and wished that we could take over God's job. And then after dying, Jesus rose from the grave to assure us that one day we too will rise and we will get to see for ourselves what life is like outside of the seed packet, what life is like when we've grown to full bloom, what spiritual and eternal life is like with God in heaven. And because Jesus rose and one day we will rise, one day we'll experience firsthand the answers to all of our resurrection questions. So, what an amazing God we have that he would lower himself and make himself small and do that for us. But God does even more than that for us because he loves us. And one of the things God does for us is he answers our questions. 
He doesn't answer all of our questions, but he answers some of our questions about what it's going to be like when we rise from the dead. And he answers some of those questions in this section of his word, in this chapter that we're reading right now. So we heard a lot of content. We heard a lot of things about the resurrection bodies. One of the things that jumped out to us right away is this simple truth. We are not going to be identical in heaven. We are not going to be clones. I can see the relief. Oh, I'm not going to be a clone. Uh, we're all going to have our own identity, our own appearance, just like we do on this earth. And to make this point, God reminds us of the way that things are in this natural world. He says, to each kind of seed, God gives its own body. We've talked about this. But it's not just seeds. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds, another. Fish, another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon, another. The stars, another. And star differs from star in splendor. The point is, even in this sin-broken world, God specializes in uniqueness. God specializes in individualization. God could have made just one kind of flower, and they would all match. But instead, he made 400,000 different kinds of flowers. At least that's what Google tells me. God could have made just one kind of animal. But instead, he made more than two million different species of animals because God likes variety and God likes uniqueness and individualization. God could have made just one kind of star in the sky. They'd all shine exactly the same. They would match. But instead, God chose to make countless different heavenly bodies that all shine and twinkle in their own unique way. Finally, God could have made just one kind of person. But instead... God made more than 8 billion different kinds of people in the world because each different one is unique. No two people are exactly the same. God made us individually. He values us individually. And God values you because you are the only you in the world. And if God could do that on this side of heaven... Why in the world do we think that God can't do that on the other side of heaven, right? So we're not clones here. We're not going to be clones when we rise from the dead. We will still be ourselves. Our loved ones will still be themselves. And yes, we will still be able to recognize each other. The thing we won't be able to recognize would be if we could look back and see what we once were. Like a full-grown flowering plant looking back at the seed that it once was, saying, how was I ever that small? How was I ever that weak and limited? This earthly existence that we value so much right now, that we like so much right now, this is just a shadow of the real existence, the full, beautiful, living existence that we will have with God in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're going to wonder why we were ever afraid of dying and leaving this world when the world to come is thousands of times immeasurably better. There's a lot of perspective coming. So Paul is just trying to encourage us and trying to, to reinforce this to the Corinthians. He switches away from seeds and, and gardens and he starts talking about it a different way. He says, so far, we have basically experienced life like Adam, created in this world and fallen into sin. 
we get Adam. We read Genesis 3, Adam's eaten from the tree, then he's blaming his wife, and we're like, yep, this is how I work, this is how I think. We can relate to Adam. But on the last day, we're going to begin to relate to someone else. And we will most closely now be able to relate to Jesus in his risen post-Easter state. Paul says it like this. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being, but the last Adam, that is Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have, up until this point, borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear, when we rise from the dead, the image of the heavenly man. Right now, we can best relate to Adam in his fallen state. Especially after the fall, God told Adam, dust you are, and to dust you will return. And we understand this. This is how our world works. And we know that death is coming for us too. But on the last day, when we have been raised from our graves, we're no longer going to be like Adam. We're going to be like Jesus. Up till now, we've borne the image of the earthly man. On that day, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. And you know what's cool? So will Adam. Where is Adam right now? Well, his soul is in heaven with God in perfect happiness and joy, but his body is dust in the ground. But on the last day, Adam will rise at the same moment that we rise. And together, think of that, the first human being ever and you, together, we will rise to physical life again and go together to inhabit the new heaven and the new earth that God will lay out for us. What a moment that will be. Adam, all the way down to the last believer left on earth, rising physically together at once. In 1999... Some of you were not alive. Um, but there was a band in 1999 called Mercy Me. And uh, Mercy Me released a song that quickly became a classic. It was called I Can Only Imagine. Have you heard that song? You hear it on like Christian radio stations a lot. It's a song about heaven and what is it going to be like, and the beautiful things that are waiting for us there. And so the refrain goes like this. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. In fact, the song says this phrase, I can only imagine a total of 19 different times. Which really is a pretty decent summary of our thoughts from this chapter. From our perspective here on earth, we only know a few things about what heaven is going to be like. Honestly, we know more things about what heaven's not going to be like. We know that there's not going to be death or mourning or crying or pain or traffic or mosquito bites or frustrating people at work or medications that you have to take or surgery or your aching back or acid reflux. I mean, we could spend all day listing things that are not going to be in heaven. But the full details of eternal life in a resurrected body those details are going to have to wait until we get there. We're going to be like seeds that are planted in the ground and then they grow up to what they're going to be someday. For now, we can only imagine. And yet, 
this chapter of the Bible is not just about imagining life in heaven someday. It's also about embracing your life right now. There are physical applications from these verses for every single person in this world, no matter where you're at in life. For example, maybe you're a young person and you're relatively healthy and strong. And yet, sometimes you feel insecure about your body. Sometimes you look at other people in the world around you and you think, I wish I had a body like that. Sometimes you look at your own body in the mirror and all that you can see are flaws. If that's you, God has powerful encouragement for you from his word. And the encouragement is this. God chose this body that you are in specifically for you. There are 8 billion people in the world and nobody else has your body. It is one of a kind, unique body that God made for you. And that means regardless of what other people think about your body, regardless of what the mirror says about your body, what God says about you is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, uniquely and specially his. And the body that you have right now is the seed for a perfect, glorious, resurrected body that you are going to have in heaven. So love the body God gave to you because it's going to be yours forever and it's going to be perfect. On the other hand, maybe you're not a young person anymore or you're getting less young by the moment. And maybe your body is not as healthy and strong as you would like it to be. Maybe you've experienced sickness and pain and accidents. Maybe there's parts of your body that have broken and they're not getting better. Maybe there are certain pains that have become chronic that are not going to go away. And there's medications that you have to take to get through your day. And if this is you, then God also has a powerful encouragement for you from his word. And this is what it is. Your healthiest days are not behind you. Your healthiest days are still ahead of you. Because when you rise from the dead on the last day, you are going to receive a resurrection body that's free from aches and pains, that doesn't need any medications, a body that is fit and spry and healthy and strong and strong enough to live forever. It sounds impossible to have a body like that. And it seemed impossible until the person who promised it rose from the grave himself proving and sealing our own resurrection to come. Because he lives, we also will live. So, what exactly will our bodies look like after we are raised from the dead? Well, God doesn't fully answer that question for us. Some of these things remain beyond our knowledge. All of these things remain beyond our control. But you know who has all of the knowledge and all of the control? Jesus does. And he is the one who has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us. And we heard it, as Paul wrote from the Philippians, talking about heaven. He says, we are eagerly awaiting a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control is going to transform our lowly bodies until they will be like his glorious body. Jesus is going to transform your lowly body until it is like his glorious body. How does that sound? That sounds pretty good to me, 
That sounds better than anything that I've ever experienced. And so may God bless us as we live in this limited world, in these limited bodies, and as we await the fulfillment of all of his incredible promises. God grant that to us for Jesus' sake. Amen.